Hello, spacers. Welcome to Starlight, a space opera. I'm Isaac, your host and GM for the adventures ahead. This show, whether you're watching or listening, is a labor of love, and one that we want to make the best for you. So if you can, take a moment to freely subscribe or share however is most comfortable for you. Thanks. Now let's plot a course to Starlight. Okay, welcome back to Starlight. We hope you guys are having a blast. And we are... You know, I've, I've been thinking about this. I've been really wanting to open up with a theme song. And I'm not really sure where to go with it. So I've been thinking that... Uh, yeah, well, Cordy just pointed at Nathan as if he has something. Do you have something? Yeah, he told me he had a theme song ready for everyone. Oh, I want to hear it. <laughs> he was going to sing it. A bull. I do not have a theme song. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to Starlight, my <laughs> darling. I want to take you dancing around the space to find three adventurers, spacers as we call them, because we want to be off-brand from D&D. And we will go from planet to planet to look for the sun makers. <laughs> Darling, pull close, because there will be pirates and smugglers and messed up robots, and who knows where we will be. Because it's starlight! Okay, that's where I got so far. And if someone could please, like, put some music to that and turn this into an actual song, Isaac will be free on Thursday afternoons from 4 to 7 for recording, so give him a call. His number is 555-437-2214. Isn't that the IRS? Six. Um, no, that's your phone number, honey. Oh, Hey, well, when you're a celebrity, it's hello. I'm Isaac, your GM. We're glad to have you here. And I'm going to pop on over to Atlas being played by... Being played by Nathan. And the Loxodon, McKenna Ali, played by... Courtney Yorks! So at this point, do I keep referring to you as McKenna or Moonmaker? Which one do you prefer? Oh, um, Or terrorist. Okay. <laughs> Terrorist. Atlas. Because <laughs> I, I haven't really, like, introduced myself. Like, hey, I'm the Moonmaker. Nice to meet you. It's more like, hey, I'm the Moonmaker. Hmm. Honestly, I wish that we should have a poll for, like, any, like, listeners or viewers on who thinks that McKenna's a terrorist. That will be our next Instagram post. So, if you're listening, I actually do have a prize. And if you... Let's see. Uh... I think that this will be good. From this moment on, um, all the people who say that they think McKenna should be called a terrorist, you will be put into a randomly drawn raffle for a prize. 
And for all the people who think that McKenna is not a terrorist, you'll be put into a randomly drawn raffle for a large, overly large dice. You get Isaac's dice whoa, whoa, that whoa, kills whoa, whoa, us all. Whoa, 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 the black and white one. Um, oh, there's no video anymore. But you will get a dice, and I will personally take it to the post office Enough, if you no, think I am no, not a terrorist. No, no, no. no. Yeah, we are, you can't guarantee. buy the listeners. Uh, we are confusing the listeners. I am defining these rules right now. Dear listener, on our Instagram at Starlight Adventures, you will find that we will be polling. And you can throw your answer in, whether McKenna should be called McKenna or terrorist. Two winners will be chosen. All the people who, and they will, they will be randomly selected from each list. We partially want to see how many people think McKenna's a terrorist because we're betting it's 80% of you. But uh, one people who say McKenna should be McKenna, we will randomly draw from that list one person. And people who say McKenna should be a terrorist will randomly draw from that list. And so we will have a winner from, say, the light side and the dark side from this day on. Go. And do you have something to say? I want to get going here. Just know that I'm watching you. And <clears throat> with that, we move into Starlight. <clears throat> Neuralink, access memories. Accessing, having been arrested for boosting speeders, aggravated assault, and generally falling into Gorn's snare, the spacers find themselves escaping from a local detention center on a noise floating platform. What began as a dire situation with Gorn wielding his apparent influence as a member of the local protectorates to lawfully arrest them has flipped in their favor as a mysterious figure comes to their aid. This figure introduces himself as an expert hacker named Thirstine, but to the spacers he is better known as the one who hacked their neurolinks upon initial entrance to the Lonely Cord. Without time to waste, he somehow frees both of them, although McKenna and Atlas are separated within the facility and must make an escape apart. McKenna and Thirstine take a shoot that drops them into a murky, watery trash heap, from which they must escape by hacking through its gate, while Atlas has a more difficult path of fleeing through the facility alone. Atlas, recovering their gear from the control room, stands on the precipice. Using the mini camera feeds, he can see everywhere in the building, from McKenna escaping to dozens of guards headed his way, and all the way to Gorn's location on the ninth floor. Memories retrieved. We start as the pin pad to the refuse gate is being worked on. <laughs> Thirsting continues uh, messing with it, trying to hack into it. There is a <sighs> as he fails. God darn it! Do you need some help? I have a little bit of experience. Might be able to do something. Oh, you think you have? Okay, please be my guest. Okay. Yes, darling, you gotta you gotta get in now. I don't play around with it. You gotta get dirty. Eighteen. Thirsteen looks over at you and he goes, Oh come on, darling. We gotta get out of here. That's going to pop up on the radar. And we don't really have much time. This way. Okay. Farewell, Atlas. And walk out the door. Don't worry, he's with the Acers. Berserker. That man can get out of there. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, that's what I'm hoping. Anyways. And he points ahead and just like pulls his cloak tighter 
and there are like some steps that you kind of like pull yourself out of shin deep muck and you find the bottom of like a the steps lead up to the bottom of like a ramp probably for like uh some sort of like truck to be able to come down at some point how good are you at driving i'm okay good he pulls out uh a little gun and he goes this is for insurance he points ahead and you see a what looks like some sort of like uh, almost like garbage truck it just barely floats above the ground did you just threaten me no 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 you're driving and if i need to use this oh oh come on he hobbles around the side and opens the door climbs on into the passenger seat you can see that the keys are in the ignition and he goes act normal we're gonna have to pass through a checkpoint put this hat on he throws uh, like a hat over to you from the seat and uh change your face again will do and i turn into a really gross looking man what a garbage man look not like garbage men are gross looking but like sorry all garbage men out there i love you um, i think you have a very important job but maybe just a little bit of a greasy hair and beard to cover mm. up my like the movie style mouth. like the movie style garbage man all right put that stick into a uh, gear and let's go you start to pull the vehicle up and out, and it starts to rumble with a <laughs> It sounds like it's gonna blow up at any point, and it continues up the ramp and to the outside of this big circular building. The building itself is completely white. There are a few like grown plants around it, and you can see that the doors are on lockdown. You can see that there are like guards who are standing at the front of the doors. There's like a wall around the perimeter of the entire compound and you can see like a gate check and there is one way in and out and it's at the checkpoint. I'm gonna ask Thirsting, um, do you want to just shoot or should we try to get out? Well, if we can't convince them and I'll shoot. Okay. But that puts us in the same predicament. Got it. Which is They'll be after us. Got it. Let's get out without shooting. All right. And drive on over there. And uh, the bodies, he kind of like motions to in the back, and you can see hidden under the mat, under the like four uh, mats, which are like also, cause like you can actually stand in this vehicle as well as sit. It has like a pretty big room in the back. They have like a restroom built in there so that the garbage man doesn't have to get out and just okay. use random restrooms. Um, and Thurston gets up and walks over and kicks the hand the rest of the way under the floorboards. You have quite the collection there. Just two, in case we have to crash this thing. Okay. Yes? Yeah? Why are there bodies there? They're called aliases, darling. Oh. And you guys come around to the front of the checkpoint. The gate is closed. There was also like the additional like arm that's down in front of you, like the checkered red and white. You see a uh, woman. She looks to be dwarven, uh, thick sideburns. Eyelashes are like obnoxiously curled. And she's wearing a, like a really just like, other than that proper uniform. And she has a clipboard in hand. And she raises an eyebrow at you. 
That was quick. Going out for another load. Uh, I don't think you are. I'm sorry. The, uh, we just got word that, um, we're having a few problems inside. Between me and you, hopefully it's quick, but you could be here for... I wouldn't expect more than 20 minutes. I'm not allowed to let people in or out. Alright, then I guess we'll wait. <clears throat> you hear a thirsty man next to you, and he whispers, Grincher! Well, you know, the garbage that it's been collecting up quite a bit, and 20 minutes late puts me... 20 minutes late home to the children and to the wife, and... who, oh, when the wife gets mad, you don't want to hear her. It's... it's quite terrifying. So, if, if there's any way you could just let me out in order to not be home late... The make, garbage has really been piling up. Make a persuasion roll. Ten? David! She kind of like leans forward and you can see that she doesn't... You can actually see like cataracts in her eyes. As she's like kind of looking past him and you, you kind of get the sense that she's really like... Now you actually can see that her hair has been dyed in multiple places and she's actually elderly, which is probably why she's out here. And she's, you didn't tell me that you had a wife. For 20 years, dear. Huh. The things you learn. 20 <clears throat> years I've been hearing, don't come home late. Be home for the children. They need to have you at dinner. You know, the whole be present as a father thing. Well... I'm sorry. Orders are from orders. Oh, well, the wife is going to hear about this. Yes, well, you know, just tell her it's Officer Gorn and she won't be able to say anything. <sighs> Dear the children, they will be so sad that I'll be home late tonight. You hear the sound just next to you, the faint... Please, dear. Please. I certainly don't want to disappoint my children. Please! <laughs> and I'm gonna grab onto her, like... <laughs> I'm, like, pleading for her life because I don't want her to die, but I am trying to make it seem like I just don't want to be late home to the children. Is this a uh, intimidation role or like a persuasion? Uh, performance? Maybe performance? Twelve. You shake her and she kind of oh, get off! I could have you arrested for that. I'm I'm just I was late home yesterday and Well you're going to have to just wait. I'm sorry! And as we say that, the scene kind of sideswipes and centers in on Atlas, who now has just saw that blip. Um, of McKenna and this man making their way out. Your eyes are drawn back to uh, the elevators closing on the four officers who got in. You see more coming your way. And then the other thing that you see is Gorn talking to someone. And Gorn kind of stops mid-sentence and seems to look at something on his desk. You can't really see what it is. He frowns. You kind of see like worry lines on his face. You see him lean forward, press a button, start playing with some things, and in like there's like a there's like a camera that there's been no monitoring movement on of anything at all, and it seems to be kind of like in like like maybe like an engineering core room where you have a bunch of like generators and stuff like that, 
and you actually see like a row of like bots and one of them comes to life. It, it has a rectangular face with little vents that go uh, up and down. There are two little eye, eye scanners on it and it seems to be almost like kind of like heavily armored um, as it clumps forward out of its wherever it is in the building. Alright, first I can pinpoint how to get to his location right with the cameras, like corridors and stuff, or no? Roll a your choice of skill of either like a survival or an insight. Survival. <laughs> and you have a general idea. You you're pretty sure you can get into the area. Okay. If I at least have a general idea, then I'm gonna one turn it with my axe and destroy all the monitors. Well, club. Okay, so you destroy a handful of them, but spending more time, you know, that's ever more time that you're gonna need. But mm. you know that they're in the elevator, kind of heading away. I'm gonna just yeah, I'll just just start. He'll run towards the area that he he kind of got the general idea of where Thorn is. Okay, you get to the stairwell. It's unlocked. You well, you have like the the security mm-hmm. card, so you're able to open it and then close it. The you start clambering your way up the stairs. You're pretty sure that uh, he has somewhere of a, a bit of a higher floor. Every once in a while, you intermittently check in in the stairwell floors as you're running up. There's a sound of boots coming down the stairway to you, somewhere way around like floor seven. In the stairway, there are two guards coming straight at you. Weapons, uh, they, they have like um, the same like burst spears, but like shortened. And one of them lowers the weapon. I need you to roll an initiative roll versus mine. 17. Four. So the first shot ricochets next to you. And the second one also right next to you is they both fire from these like burst spears. Uh, The same yellow's energy just one sends off part of the railing and the railing goes falling to the ground as one of like, maybe like you're not sure, but like floor four or floor three and you're about floor seven you hear one of those doors open and you hear an officer kind of like yell out as he gets hit by the railing that kind of slams into him. You continue as um, you're running up towards him. I'm gonna use my movement action to shove him off, like okay. shove him off the railing. I want you to go ahead and make an athletics check versus their athletics check. That's a 20, mm-hmm. dirty 20. 14. So you push him up against the railing, he kind of scrabbles with you, kind of pushes you back tries to lock his arm around your neck and hold you in place as he yells out, I got him! I got him! So Alice is going to know that his situation is getting kind of dire because obviously mm-hmm. he sees the soldiers coming up and then the ones on him. So he, yeah, he is going to rage. <sighs> All right, Alice had to break his grapple. 21. So you are able to break it, and as you, as you are breaking it at the same time, the blue lines on your body turn red and claws and the tails come out. You hear the sounds as uh, more people continue running up the stairs. You know, they're still a little bit of a ways off because it's all happening so fast. Um, One soldier raises uh, his weapon and tries to stab you. You kind of like bat it to the side and the one in front of you is going to level the burst spear at you and he stabs it right into your chest. I'm gonna use my reaction with the tail. 
So he got a 20. So 20, so 16 plus 7. Yeah, your tail flicks up, catching the haft of his spear. And you almost shear the spear in half. Alright, then I'm going to shove or punch him or whatever. Okay. Uh, get him to go over the edge. Uh, that'll be an athletics check versus his. 22. <laughs> the other guy backs up just a little bit. I want you to roll an intimidation roll with him. Uh, 14 plus 2, 16. As you turn around after having punched the guy off the side, there is like the sight of like the dragon tattoo you have on your back. As you turn and like your body's still kind of like sizzling with heat and you have all this like kind of like feral power coming off of you, you see these like very elegant eyes, uh, blonde hair swept back in kind of almost like a man bun and the the faint traces of elven lineage. And this officer raises his weapon. You take one step towards him and, and he lowers it with a nod and kind of presses up against the window, or I mean against the wall, and lets you pass. Atlas, in his rage, there's still people below me, right? The soldiers? Yeah. He's going to try to throw him into the soldiers below. Athletics check versus acrobatics as he realizes what you're doing. He goes, ah, ah, that was And you <laughs> reach for him. 23. Oh, you pick him up over your head like Bane style. And he's trying to break free. And you toss him into the first wave of officers as they come around the corner, knocking them down like a bunch of pins. Uh, before you start to head the rest of the way up the stairs. We cut back over to McKenna. Have a good night's sleep, darling. And then I'm going to put her to sleep. So you got to make that the eight rolls. Eight, eight, four, five, ten, fifteen, nineteen, twenty... 26, 32. So she's in the middle of talking and saying, you're just going to have to wait until officer... Huh. <laughs> she raises a hand with a finger, just like... I'm overcome with these... With these... Huh. And, I'm and she falls to the ground. And press the button to open it. There is the sound of... And Thirsty looks over at you and he goes, Oh, darling, that's much better than this. He holsters the weapon. He wasn't going to let you hurt her. She was an innocent one. Fair enough. But we are going to have to do something about this because they spend enough time scrubbing their um, records, they're going to find it. So take the right and then take the left. Yes, down Candlewick there. You keep on driving. Mm hmm. And do you see the end there? Yes, yes, yes. The boundary. Right where the platform ends, and you can fall off the side. Do us a favor and crash us off, will you? <laughs> and, uh, and make sure you jump off before the vehicle goes. Okay. I do it. 
the vehicle and it goes, <sighs> and you watch as it floats. Both you and Thirsteen jump out and land on the metal. Just both, both of you roll an acrobatics check. And then we are going to have a little roll of fate here. Atlas, will you please roll a die 100 and just don't roll under 20. 18 for me. 16. So you both jump out of the car, but uh, McKenna, as you're about to leap out, the vehicle starts to kind of like, it has like a really bad like alignment issue and it starts to curve into one of the buildings. Do you want to let it go into the building? Thirsteen's already jumped out on the platform and he yells, come on! Can I fix it and then jump? Yes. Then yeah. Okay. I want you to go ahead and make a vehicle handling check. Six and then I'm jumping. Okay. You are able to just get it sort of in time as it slams into the side of the wall. Taking off a chunk of this like what you're pretty sure is some sort of store or manufacturing business. And you just watch as there's just a ripping noise and then the set, like you can see sparks and everything. You just barely get it right so it doesn't crash the whole way in. But in doing so, the moment you jump, you land and you, you, you're caught up in the momentum like a two, 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 rolling to the side from the momentum. You reach a hand out, just barely scrabbling. And just as you're about to go flying over the edge, you grab the side with one hand and you're just hanging roughly about 80 feet off of a drop off. Okay, so I need you to make an athletics roll as your hand is slipping from the sweat. Is that one? Oh! I'm gonna yell, Thirsty! And then you start, he runs over, you see the dark shape as kind of reaches for your hand and you just slip free. I need you to tell me one skill that you're gonna try and use to to save yourself. Skill, Uh, spell, something? You're you're gonna get three chances here. Okay. It can be a skill, spell, attack, anything that might reasonably help you. Wow. Um. That is the worst nat one. That is so bad. Ooh. See, if you just jumped and let those that those homes just be destroyed, you gotta learn from Atlas. You gotta save um, yourself. He has inspiration. I know he does. He just has to have the kindness to be willing to share his inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I thought you can only use inspiration for yourself. Oh, sorry. Uh, this is a house rule I've always done. I, I I'm we, we can share inspiration. So if there's any listeners who are rules lawyer, that's a special house rule I've always done. Oh, would that change in that one though? Yes. Unless you roll another nat one. <laughs> oh, that gives you. Does that give you advantage or a D? It, it gives you a re-roll. Oh. Now I'm debating on if I let her fall and see what her checks are, or if I uh, I save her by the grace of Atlas. <laughs> And the engine needs to come in three, two. All right, you can just re-roll it. If I die, yes! though, this is on you. Eleven. You scrabble with one other hand just as you're slipping and falling. Thirsting's the amount that he could hold you gave you just a fraction of a second more to grab the side. And the trunk. your trunk <sighs> reaches out. You're able to grab it, and I need you to roll an athletic check. To put it if up. you screw this up. Fifteen. 
McKenna, you start to kind of pull yourself yes! up. And as you're pulling yourself up, there is a crash below you as you hear the uh, garbage the truck. garbage truck land and just. Well, that was smooth. Good job, Thirsty. Now, where are we off to now? That my pride's a little hurt. No comments are needed. Let's go. And I start walking away. He looks at the wall you've torn off. Looks down. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. Okay. And I turn around. And uh, As I'm walking, I'm going to mend what I can. We're going to cut back as you send a few bricks and stuff back into the right place. Okay. To Atlas, you come to the eighth floor and you see something that you are not happy to be seeing. Oh, great. It, you you know that, the, that Gorn's floor is on the ninth, but as you peek in the eighth floor, you see a very slow moving, it looks like repaired over time and been destroyed many times, military killbot walking down the hallway towards the stairwell. And you can just hear it barely fits in the hallway. It's about the size of McKenna and just You can keep going up to the ninth floor if you wish. Yep. Okay, so you just, you look at it and you keep going. (laughs) Burst open to the ninth floor, or you would if the door wasn't locked. I need you to make an athletics check to break through. Easy. 16. It just busts down at the circuitry. Ahead, you see a few rooms, uh, but you see a very grand looking room, probably the place of Gorn. It's, the windows are like shaded, because uh, it's an all glass door, so you can't actually see what's inside, but you're pretty sure that that's where your quarry is. Then I'll just bust through the glass, and then well, on the other side of it, like I kind of revert back to my normal self. <laughs> Shards go bursting everywhere as you rush your way through. And then it's at the moment as you get through, you just feel some of the rage kind of start to wear off, the tail kind of shrinking back into your body, the nails going back and just leaving blood that runs down along your fingers where they grew out of the skin, your teeth growing back to normal. And you immediately feel the blast of a shot just slam into the side of your body. As you see Gorn on the other side, his desk been pulled up into a, almost like a mock barricade. And he is still dressed in similar clothes. He just hisses at you. <sighs> I should have known you were going to come up here. I told them to get rid of you, but they suggested we go this route. Now you give me an excuse to execute you where you stand. As you know, I work for the Acers. What is your goal with the Sunmaker? Are you an ally or are you an enemy? I am his oldest friend and confidant. As you know, when you met the Moonmaker, that he seems to be hunting him down. And with the Acers, all we're trying to do is get information on him and then protect him as maybe a future asset for ourselves. I want you to make a persuasion roll. I am not hunting him down. (laughs) For the record. 17. He holds the rifle up still. The Moonmaker. She said she was with the knights, the Nogumo knights. 
the Sunmaker warned me against those who belong to Naguru. And then she shows me his tattoo. Yeah, the Acer is using her just as, or an Enzuma means. And if you found the Sunmaker, what would you do with him? I'd escort him back to her base so we could actually protect him. Because as, as of right now, they have information on where he's at. He's my master in danger. Without the protection of the Acers, yes. He'll have the whole Federation after him. This is a persuasion roll. I'm unarmed too, so it's like I'm showing that I'm not aggressive. Like I'm, I have no weapon in my hand. All right. <laughs> that next roll is six, so eleven and six. You are a berserker. Yes. One of the best. Yeah. I want to speak with your masters and verify this threat. Okay, well, you'd have to come with me then. As you know, the Acers don't do direct lines. And need, if you over. do accept this, you need to pretend as if you're the elephant's ally that we're with. And if she betrays us in the Sunmaker, when Not she does... Myself. He stands up from where he is, but doesn't put down the weapon. You can hear in the background the sound of, like, the machine made for war. Exterminate. Exterminate. Big boy. And Gorn slowly walks his way around. There are some secrets that I cannot tell without my master's express position. But I know that he lives and serves the cause of the way. And if he's truly at danger, then he would have me protect. So, if this is how it must be, then I ask that I get to bring a few of my men for protection of my own. And we verify this threat and go from there to serve the Sunmaker. Deal? Yeah, it's a deal. Like I said, though, you, you do have to pretend as if you are the Moonmaker's ally. Because he, we still need her for whatever information she also has. Deal. He keeps the weapon up, but he raises his hand out to shake your hand. Alice will shake his hand. And as he does that, you hear the sound of the robot coming closer and closer. And... He presses a button underneath the lip of the. He pins in a few more codes, and you hear the alarm stop. And he says, Wait here. I will go talk to my men and tell them that you escaped. He takes his weapon raises it past you and fires it at the three windows around the back side of behind Tez's desk so that it looks like you burst out of the window to escape. And with that, we will cut over to McKenna, who is following after Thirstine. And it's not much further, dear. It's a little bit more on the outskirts, but 
I uh, have a feeling we have more in common than you might think. Yeah, probably something in common. Like hacking neural links and disguising ourselves and breaking and entering into jails and escaping. Yeah, something in common. Well, the last few I agree, but I never hacked your neural link. Oh, really? Really. Okay. There wasn't a bar where you pretended to be a robot, but you weren't actually a robot, and then you implanted this girl in my head. Nothing? Doesn't ring a bell? He stops where he is. You guys are standing out kind of like the cross uh, section of the street. There's a single lamp that's kind of like, it has like a light orb kind of floating up out of it, casting like a dim yellowish <laughs> light down upon both of you. The air is cold and the wind kind of whistles by. There's a little bit of trash debris that goes next to your feet. He scratches the side of his face and he goes, so you've seen it. The woman, Aphet. Yes. Well, you wouldn't be the first, but no, my dear, I didn't implant that in you. But guilty on accounts of pretending to be a robot stripper, yes. But not for you. To uh, get information on some of our enemies that we need to outmaneuver. And who are those enemies? Well, you've already met her, but we can talk more about her in a bit. Who? Thyra, of course. You know, I'm really not knowing who to trust these days. Yes, well, Nanoi is in a bit of turmoil as people are trying to join the Federation and people are trying to stop it. Personally, we would love to see that stopped. And that... Who are we? Oh, me and my employer, Mr. Grimble. He continues to walk and you see kind of like perched up on like a fank, like a artificial like metal hill is this like seedy looking like factory and there's like a single light kind of like flickering in and out so you can read the sign intermittently and it's like hand painted on and it says Bomboy's Robo Repair. And is this where Mr. Brimble is? Ah, yes. Yes, it is. You see, uh, Thyra needs to get some of her supplies from somewhere and when her, uh, let's say, patrons break them, well, they need it repaired and they also need people to, um, clean out the uh, the orifices, so we shall speak. And that's where me and Mr. Grimble come in handy. It also makes it easy to slip in and out. So, please, why don't you come on in? He, instead of taking you to the front door, takes you around the back to a, uh, what looks like a shed. Once you go inside of the shed, there is like a bunch of tools and stuff like that. He moves like a fake crate and behind it there's like a lever. And when he pulls the lever, the doors, like all the windows kind of shut with like metal. The door shuts with metal and there's a lift that takes you down beneath the building. There is a opening, kind of, and it has a kind of like a chain gated fence. He opens it with both hands, he rattles open, and you see 
a hallway, and at the end there's a little bit of a light. He goes, now, Mr. Grimble is a, uh, <sighs> he is associated with the House of Dictates, so if my understanding is correct from what Thyra has told you and your companions, you will not think very highly of us. So, I will put it bluntly so that you are on the same page. Mr. Grumble wants power, like anyone else in the political establishment, and, uh, he also wishes to serve the best interests of Ninoe, and if he might fill his pockets while doing so, then he will. And we've had some hiccups with that both within our own internal affairs of the House of Dictates and with Thyra. So, Mr. Grimble is not a man of uh, refineries. He's cut straight and to the point, and I think that you will find that most refreshing. He leads you down the rest of the hallway, and you come into what looks to be like a room that's been set up as both a mixture of, like, someone's, like, garage for like all their projects you can see a bunch of like forgotten projects put alongside the walls on these like shelves there is like a very very small like bar that's been built with like kind of like a mini fridge and in the center of the room you see that there's like a there's like a sofa and a few like seats around it and in the center instead of like you know the latest like hollow show or anything <laughs> there is an old-fashioned aquarium and within there is a turtle swimming around within it and it has like long flippers it's like a sea turtle but you watch as its head extends and it has like you've seen something very similar the head looks a lot like the dragon heads on atlas's tattoo on his back and you watch as it's kind of just chasing little fish around and eating them when it can and there is a dwarf standing on a stool above the aquarium dropping these fish in and <laughs> run little Oh, thirsty. You found her. And she checks out. Mr. Grimble. Yes, that is me. Uh, McKenna, you recognize this dwarf. You recognize the voice. It is the dwarf that you saw who was with Speaker Hulse when they cut off Mr. Ackern's uh, trunk. He climbs down off of the stool walks towards you and raises a hand out to shake yours. The pleasure's mine. No, the pleasure is yours. Very nice to meet you. And I keep the hand to myself. Can I get you a drink? <laughs> or would you like to sit? Sandwiches, perhaps? Make yourself comfortable first. Then we can talk business. I am not hungry nor thirsty. So straight to the business, then. Yes. I'm what sure do you, you need? Cut and dry. I like it. Something that my friend has forgotten. Speaker Holst. <laughs> and how do you know Speaker Holst? <laughs> because we are both members of the House of Dictates. Mm. I as her assistant, and she as the Speaker to the House. And how has she forgotten? <sighs> she has kind of lost some of her way, I would say. Um, how to say it? She fancies herself more as a cult leader. 
She has forgotten the very reasons that we joined the House of Dictates. Cold leader for what? Doing what? Of the family. I know you've been doing some sleuthing, and it's probably only been a matter of time since you found out. Am I wrong? Found out what? Hmm. Well, Thirsty, remind me not to employ Hillier next time. Turns out he's not a very good informant. Well, as you know, and we know, you've been looking into Mr. Ackerm, the Sunmaker, and over the past few months, my associates, Speaker Hulse, has become fanaticized with what remains of him. What remains of him? Well, as of right now, a trunk. And where is that trunk? And why is it not in his body? Well, you see... We figured out that after Gorn sealed the temple away, the only way to open it up in the future would be using the trunk, so... The, uh... Speaker convinced Gorn to let her in one last time for old memory's sake, and we cut the trunk off so that we could go in as we as pleased. Ever since then... You... wait... You... You cut off the trunk of a dead man's body? Well, mostly Speaker Holst. I didn't know that she was going to go down such a strange path. She needs to be taken care of. And that's why I'm interested in you. Hold on. I'm I'm still flabbergasted by the fact that you would cut off somebody's trunk. Second of all, use it to get in the temple. That is just so disgraceful. It is? Yeah. It is mostly Speaker's whole idea. I'm just her assistant. Like I said... I am her assistant. Originally, I was excited because we were going to move our way into power. I have no particular love for Mr. Ackerm. I think that he didn't lead the city in a way that was profitable. There was lots of profits to be made outside of the Federation. The Federation has too many taxes, too much control. But a small colony like us, built in the right way, can become fabulously rich and influential, and we can provide a better place for people like myself, but for everyone. We raise all tides, so to speak. Holst wants to keep things to Mr. Ackram's way, which is incredibly religious and indoctrinating. Whether Mr. Ackram actually lives, as he says or not, is only the gods will know. <laughs> but that time has passed. Holst, however, has come up with some harebrained schemes that I do not agree with, such as setting up programs around the city so that you can see uh, visions of Aphid, I believe. You are not the only one to see it. Many citizens have seen it. Holst is the one who has maneuvered herself in charge of some of the burial and cremation services. She gathers the bodies. She has Gorn help her. Gorn. I don't know how she maneuvered Gorn into helping her, but it's not willingly. I don't actually know much about him. <laughs> but what I will say is the Gorn that I know is a radically different Gorn than when Speaker Holst is around. It's almost, I would think that there's some hacking of his neural link forcing him to do things when she's around. She walks him like a dog, gets him to do whatever she wants. 
Obviously, we also have enemies, for reasons that I do not wish to explain until we are on better trust with Thyra. There are many particulars as to why we distrust Thyra and why Thyra is not a fan of the Dictates, and so I will go into one small matter with Thyra if you are convinced that you would want to aid her. One, she engineered the bombing at the House of Roses. Not Speaker Holst, not I. Two, she is a trafficker of scents. And do you approve of these things? Thirsting pipes up. Well, I've spent quite a bit of time pretending to be robots at the brothel, greeting guests into the doors, and I can assure you that not all of them are robots. I do appreciate your words, and those are nice, and I enjoy hearing you talk at times, but hearing you talk and your words are not proof. So I would like some proof. I will say I am inclined to work with you solely because I am very, very, very against any kind of religious fanaticism, and that startles me. Um, but I would like proof of every single thing that you tell me. I don't want your words or your stories as proof. I want real, actual proof. Well, in that case, action! Action is what we need, and action is what we will have. In that case, proof is what I need before any action is happening. Fair enough. He sits down and pulls out a data pad, and it starts to create an image. Can I incite him as he's doing this to make sure he's not changing anything? Yes. 19. He seems to be on the up and up. He pulls out what appears to be like video footage. You remember that Thyra had that pretty large man with the mustache mm -hmm. who was helping her. He tells you that he had, this is footage from within the House of Roses. And you see this man. He's well covered. And the only reason that you actually ever see his face is he's working with what appears to be like a team of other people as they're moving caskets of material crate thing and they hide it into a room. And after they get it, the Thyrus right-hand man sends, says something to them. And that's when he tells the men to go and make sure they cut the footage, make sure that that job was done. Thankfully, we have spies who are able to get the information out in time. This video was saved by Holst's lover. Holst's lover is under the assumption that we are going to use the videos to make sure that Holst is okay and not blamed for this. Who is Holst's lover? There are some things that I cannot say at this moment. I need you to say them. I can't. If you, if you cannot trust me to keep my word in protecting someone, how can you expect me to keep my word with you? That's not the way business is done. Okay. What do you need? Watch the video. You watch as uh, Thyra's man then, once they like come back and it seems like they've cleared most of the, the feeds, as they're leaving, 
he kills every single one of them. Just like a shot to the back. Thyra planted those explosives. I can't exactly make a move on it, and I would like it if you made the move. If you can prove that Thyra was behind that, I will give you Holst. There, you seem rather fond of your friend's trunk, as you said. You will have that back. Holst will be gone, and I will be in position to take over the House of Dictates. It's a win-win. And how am I expected to do this? By saving Holst's lover. And I don't know who Holst's lover is. And now you get to know. She is a vat of ooze. Roughly in the shape of a brain. Thyra had her kidnapped. Thyra is well equipped at trafficking people. Thyra uses the orphanage as a way of staging these transfers of people. I want you to break into the orphanage. If you can shed dirt on the synthetic movement she's been doing, great. Fine. That strengthens my position even more. But if you can find Holst's lover, well, reboot her, get her memories back online, and I will have someone who has a first-hand account to confirm these videos that were sent. As it stands right now, this is only so good with the way people can manipulate videos since now. Okay. And he raises a hand to shake yours. And I shake it. We cut for the last little bit of this episode back to Atlas. You've been moved to a different room once Gorn has made sure that the cameras are off, made sure that his men are no longer there, and he steps in front of you and crosses his arms and says, Well, where do we start? You said we need to go to a location. My men have confirmed that your friend, the Laksadan, traitor, has escaped. I do have some information on who I believe she escaped with. She did have, she did have help. But as of right now, it's going to be just exchanges of information. I know you want to speak to my family, so... Basically, it's just when when, and where we have to make that trip. Is it close? Yeah, it's pretty close. We can just head over to Sanctuary and get there where we can have a direct connection to the family. And the man with the hat, he is with you, no? Yes, as of right now, again, he there's a lot of unknowns we have about him. But we're trying to... The Acers are basically trying to figure out if he... It's either going to be an asset or a threat. And as of right now, it's kind of the same thing as we have with the Loxodon. Is we need to find out if we can gain some benefit from them. Or if they are a threat to what we're trying to accomplish. 
and we just I just had to take him out. As you know, that's the job of a berserker is to be on the front line. He kind of purses his lips, frowns, and says, "So many unknowns, and the elations are coming. It would make sense if there's danger to my Mister Akram. I've selected my men. Four of them." will be with us. They will be of help so long as there is no threats against me. Consider us allies. Perfect. I have transport that we can take. He takes you to the lift. You guys go and descend deep down into the building into a series of shuttles. Uh, there are a few, like, officers there, but he sends them away before you walk out. And you see not a dragon, but you see a, uh, a Corvette, uh, starship. And you guys climb within. He, he takes a seat. It's, it doesn't have any rooms or anything like that. It's meant more from point A to point B. Uh, but it's comfy enough. There are... There is a pair of fluffy dice hanging from the front of the window, <laughs> and he turns on the vehicle, and it, whatever his last music was, it was sounds like some sort of rock and roll, similar to the um, what was in that room, and the vehicle kind of like comes to life, uh, and it starts to kind of as it starts to rise and turn and move out of the uh, docking bay up into the sky. With that, we end on two handshakes to solve a problem. So, with that, I think we move on. We'll see you soon. Alright. Yep. Have a good one, Spacers. Till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, spacers.